Welcome to Let's Talk OA, the podcast series on all things osteoarthritis. This space is designed for healthcare professionals to gather and learn from key world-renowned experts that dedicate their day-to-day in helping the lives of those living with OA. I'm Simon Fleming, your host for the series and a trainee orthopaedic surgeon in the United Kingdom. In today's episode, our guest is Dr. Louis Vidal, and he's joining us all the way from uh, Lima in Peru, so pretty far away from me in the UK. Dr. Vidal is head of the rheumatology department in the Maria Auxiliadora Hospital and uh, is also the medical director of uh, CEDAW, uh, which, uh, for those who don't know, is the, the Diagnostic Centre for Osteoporosis and Rheumatic Diseases. Our goal with this episode is to help healthcare professionals better differentiate osteoarthritis from other types of arthritis. You know, during the diagnostic process and getting a more active kind of clinical suspicion itself. So getting people to think about arthritis sooner. So welcome, Dr. Vidal, and to all of the people listening today. We hope that they all follow and share our podcast if they enjoy it. And here we go. So can you explain to me um, the, the signs and symptoms of osteoarthritis just from an early stage for a clinician to keep an eye out for them? Osteoarthritis affects single or multiple joints and is associated with a pattern of symptoms and signs that allow us to recognize it in clinical practice. Despite having modern diagnostic techniques, the identification of this disease must be based on clinical observations and confirmed by complementary examinations when necessary. Among among these complementary examinations, conventional radiology serves not only for this purpose, but also to define the stage of the disease. Pain in the affected joint is the cardinal and most frequent symptom of OA and is a major contributor to disability in this disease. Characteristically, the pain has a mechanical pattern, meaning that it occurs or is exacerbated by movement and is not associated with morning stiffness, or is brief, usually less than 30 minutes. This is a very important aspect, so we should always take it into account. Pain in osteoarthritis has a sinuous index and is related to physical activity in the early stages of the disease, but becomes more constant as the disease progresses, and not feeling that there is a progressive loss of articular cartilage will lead to an incongruence of joint surfaces and overloading of tendons, ligaments and other soft tissues surrounding the joint. This, together with pain, will limit the joint's range of motion and lead to difficulty and disability in work and daily life activities. For example, hip OA limits ambulation, limits getting in and out of a car, and even some more everyday actions such as tying shoelaces or putting on socks. Knee osteoarthritis is also associated with difficulty to walk, to go up and down stairs, or to get in and out of bed. For patients with hand osteoarthritis, they face a decrease in grip strength and difficulty to grasp objects, to open jars, or to open a lock using a key. A significant proportion of patients with osteoarthritis also report joint instability and sudden loss of postural support during ambulation, particularly when the knees are affected. 
pain, decreased muscle strength and changes in joint proprioception contribute to the severity of these symptoms. It's important to consider that joint instability increases the risk of falls in older adults, an age group in which the prevalence of osteoporosis is higher and therefore the consequences of such falls, especially the increase in fractures, can lead to potentially severe complications. Normal joint friction produces noises during movement called crackles. This phenomenon is also referred to as joint crepitus. These can be perceived by the patient and in severe cases may even be audible. As the disease progresses, the joints become deformed and contribute to functional limitation and disability in these patients. We can often find sensitivity or pain on joint-spaced contraction during a physical examination, and this is one of the most common findings in osteoarthritis. Palpable rehabilitation is one of the most characteristic findings in this disease. And during physical examination, it can be easily detected by placing the palm of the hand over the joint space and asking the patient to perform repetitive joint movements. Crepitus may be found more easily in joints with greater mobility and more accessible to palpation, such as the knees or the first carpometacarpal joint, which is the joint at the base of the thumb. Increased volume or swelling of the affected joints is one of the signs that usually occur in more advanced stages of osteoarthritis. It's important to determine on palpation whether the consistency is hard or soft. In the first case, I mean that hard tissue enlargement is palpated, which in that case may reflect the presence of overgrowth of bone ends, also known as osteophytes. They are usually seen in small joints and are known as hebedens and Bouchard's nodes in the interphalangeal joints of the hands. In contrast, if the enlargement is soft, joint effusion may be seen, but in osteoarthritis this rarely happens. And it's important to note that it's not associated with erythema, warmth or other inflammatory changes in the affected joint. Okay, it's, it's great to differentiate signs from symptoms, which I get, like it makes me think, it makes me wonder, has it always been like this? Has osteoarthritis always behaved this way? Can you explain to me how OA has evolved as a disease? In the early stages of osteoarthritis, the pain is predictable in nature and is usually triggered by an unusual physical activity, e.g. playing a sport, and eventually makes it difficult for the person to perform high-impact activities. Subsequently, the pain becomes more persistent and may hinder daily activities, such as walking or climbing stairs, and may be associated with unpredictable episodes of limitation of the affected joint, or the other aforementioned symptoms. In advanced stages, the pain is constant, continuous and may even occur while resting or at night. And it's also associated with short, unpredictable episodes of pain exacerbation with great impact on the patient. This pattern of severe pain causes significant limitations on activities, including social and recreational activities. And what can you tell us about the changes between healthcare professional specialties and the, the management of OA? You know, is it clear who does what and when and why on that patient journey? Or do patients find that they move from one healthcare professional to another in, a, in search of a diagnosis? 
What are your thoughts? We have to consider that the management of osteoarthritis, really the approach is multidisciplinary and different specialists have to be involved in the treatment. Primary care physician is usually the one who makes the initial diagnosis, but obviously it can be evaluated by the rheumatologist, especially in case of doubt or requiring a certain procedure, such as a corticosteroid injection or any other type of supplementation for the affected joint. Rehabilitation medicine has an important role in the management of this disease and in maintaining the patient's functional status, and the traumatologist obviously performs surgical procedures when necessary. That's pretty insightful. Thanks, Thanks for sharing. I, is there something you think we absolutely must, absolutely should know or consider when we are clinically suspicious that we're dealing with a case of osteoarthritis? The diagnosis of RA should be considered in any patient over 40 years of age who presents a pattern of mechanical pain with the characteristics we have described before, and which is not associated with morning stiffness or brief ambulation. We must also consider another important aspect, which is topography, joint involvement, because in the primary form of this disease, some joints are more commonly affected, while other joints' conditions are infrequent. Knees, hips, interphalangeal joints of the hands or the lumbar or cervical spine are commonly affected in the primary form of OA. In contrast, the wrists, elbows or ankles are usually not affected in the primary form of OA, but may be affected by secondary causes such as trauma, overuse or poorly healed fractures. Okay, so regarding this clinical suspicion that you may have a case of, of osteoarthritis, what do you think would lead to a good diagnosis or a correct diagnosis or even just, you know, help me get rid of my doubts? You know, is it OA, is it not? Okay, as I mentioned before, the diagnosis of OA should be established from a clinical point of view. And since it has characteristic symptoms, diagnostic imaging isn't necessarily required for confirmation. However, this diagnostic imaging should be used if the presentation is atypical or if other diagnostic possibilities are to be ruled out. The recommendations for the diagnosis of knee OA proposed by EULA, which is the European Alliance of Associations for Rheumatology, in 2009 suggest that diagnosis of knee OA can be established even without a radiological examination in adults over 40 years of age in case of mechanical knee pain, brief morning stiffness and functional limitations, plus one or more of the following findings during the physical examination crepitus, limitation in movements or overgrowth of the bone ends. Now, among the ancillary tests, conventional radiology is the method of choice to confirm the diagnosis. But remember that there is no good correlation between symptoms and radiological findings in OA. Radiology also allows us to grade the severity of OA according to the classification of authors Kelgren and Lawrence into the following stages. In the first stage, there is a doubtful joint space narrowing and possible osteophytic lipping. In the second stage, there are definite osteophytes and possible joint space narrowing. In the third stage, moderate multiple osteophytes, definite narrowing of joint space, and there could be some pseudocysts areas and sclerosis and possible deformity of bone ends. Finally, in stage four, there are large osteophytes, 
marked narrowing of joint space, severe sclerosis and definite deformity of bone ends. Other diagnostic tests such as ultrasound or nuclear magnetic resonance can be used in OA but for more specific indications. Ultrasound, for example, can be used to treat soft tissue pathologies or to detect synovitis or rather to rule out inflammatory arthritis. Nuclear magnetic resonance allows us to reassess minimal changes in the joint, but rather than confirming the diagnosis, it serves to rule out associated pathologies in addition to OA. Okay. And if we're talking about patient history, you know, 80% 80 of diagnosis comes from patient history. What does an OA patient history look like? What does the physical exam cover? I mean, I, I guess that's two questions for you. Ideally, taking a proper history and performing a thorough physical examination allow us to identify OA. However, I think it's important to also take into account certain clinical scenarios in which you should suspect that the patient does not have OA or has secondary diagnosis in addition to OA. Let's mention some of those scenarios. The first one is a patient who has non-mechanical joint pain, and I'm going to mention two examples here. If the pain is associated with long-lasting morning stiffness, then we should suspect an inflammatory pathology such as crystal arthritis, infectious arthritis or other type of inflammatory arthritis. If the pain, on the other hand, is accompanied by symptoms such as paresthesia, tingling or a sensation of warmth or cold in the affected joint, we should suspect neuropathic pain and logically it will require different medications to those commonly used in a way to relieve it. A second scenario is involvement of joints that are infrequently affected in the primary form of OA. Obviously, this obliges us to check at least one differential diagnosis, to suspect that there may be a secondary cause of OA or that there is another diagnosis. For example, if there is involvement of the sternoclavicular joints, which we know it doesn't commonly occur in the primary form of OA, another diagnosis has to be considered. And in my country, at least, we suspect brucellosis as a first diagnosis. If there is OA in elbows or wrists, for example, these degenerative changes may be secondary to overuse, trauma or fractures. A third scenario is finding signs of inflammation in the affected joint, such as erythema, warmth or noticeable joint effusion during the clinical examination. These findings are not typical of OA, but rather characteristic of inflammatory diseases affecting the joint, among which septic arthritis, crystal arthritis or inflammatory arthritis should be considered. And if the joint effusion is perceptible, it's important to perform an osteosynthesis and to examine the synovial fluid. Another scenario is if the patient presents, the patient with suspected OA presents generalized musculoskeletal pain. That symptom isn't associated with OA and in fact obliges you to look for a cause, among which, for example, fibromyalgia is a common one and may accompany OA. Another clinical scenario also to be considered is OA appearing at a young age e.g. under 40 years of age. 
In these cases, a secondary cause should be suspected, and hereditary bone dysplasias that alter joint congruence should be particularly taken into account. Finally, the last scenario would be systemic manifestations in the OA patient, such as fever or weight loss or malaise. We know that these aren't typical symptoms of OA and shouldn't be considered as part of the clinical picture and should obviously lead us to look for another diagnosis. It sounds like having a patient come in and performing these examinations is particularly important in OA. So I guess this immediately makes me think, like if in an eventuality there's, you know, a COVID pandemic or, or for whatever reason, for personal reasons, professional reasons, you know, family emergencies, jobs, whatever, the patient can't come in for that physical examination or that consultation, that face-to-face uh, moment to begin a new treatment. Is telemedicine an option in OA? What does a virtual consultation for OA look like? How did COVID change things? Did, has that benefited uh, patients with OA? Did, are they better supported when they're dealing with those symptoms and their challenges? Obviously, during the pandemic, access to face-to-face consultations has been limited and telemedicine has been really helpful. With this tool, we can take a detailed anamnesis, of course, but the physical examination can only be done by observation, i.e. it's a virtual physical examination and we have to make use of a series of actions. Telemedicine allows us to observe the patient so we can access the signs through the camera, such as erythema, localized, dim swelling, skin issues, and compare it with the contralateral limb. This way we can make a series of findings that will obviously provide us with a better guidance throughout the diagnosis. We can ask the patient to superficially touch the skin of the affected joint and compare it with the contralateral joint to look for pain or superficial sensation. In an OA patient, for example, if we want to assess whether there is pain in a specific anatomical area or joint, we can simply tell the patient or a family member to apply pressure on the said area with their fingers so that we can look for pain, obviously. We can observe the active and passive ranges of motion and even reproduce the movements performed by the patient or family member, such as moving or pressing on the patella. And finally, we can send instructions prior to the virtual examination, prior to the telemedicine consultation, pain scales or questionnaires to help us during the virtual examination. Telemedicine is a very valuable tool and we should make the most of it. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an orthopaedic surgeon. I, I work in a hospital. What about the specialties, the specialists behind OA? Is there any difference between getting a diagnosis from, you know, a specialist or a general practitioner? Actually, the diagnosis of OA can be made by a general practitioner as well as by a specialist, obviously. However, it's advisable that in case of diagnostic doubt and for the benefit of the patient, in order to avoid delaying the start of the treatment, the patient can be referred to a rheumatologist to confirm the presence of OA and to rule out other associated pathologies. But really the diagnosis can be made by any general practitioner or primary care physician. And can you tell me a little bit about the diagnostic criteria? Are there guidelines specific to knee OA, for example? Well, there are several international medical societies such as SIOM, ORC, 
ULAR, or the American College of Rheumatology, which have proposed criteria for the diagnosis and management of OA and which can be easily found in any medical literature search engine. These guidelines suggest that the diagnosis should be established on clinical grounds, as we have already mentioned, okay? Radiological examinations can also be taken into account when necessary, but at the end of the day we see that the diagnosis can be established according to clinical criteria or imaging. Depending on the guidelines, some include only clinical criteria, some include clinical plus radiological criteria, and some even include laboratory criteria as well. As I always do with all of our guests, I wonder if you could share with, with me, with us, your take-home message on how we can help. It sounds like you've got some, you know, some words of wisdom for the, our listeners, for the medical community, for the whole team in helping them get to a correct and potentially faster diagnosis for our patients. Thank you. That's an excellent question that allows me to make several comments. Firstly, as it happens with any other disease, early diagnosis is associated with a better prognosis. Secondly, it's important to identify OA patients early in order to initiate appropriate therapeutic measures to prevent both the disease progression and the severe structural damage to the affected joint, which will obviously occur progressively if we don't intervene. It will also allow us to take a series of specific actions, such as, for example, modifying risk factors. If the subject is obese, we must try to get them to lose weight. Correcting anatomical defects or improving, avoiding or treating muscular atrophy. And obviously we are going to take measures on all these aspects that will help to avoid or prevent the disease from progressing. Finally, I would like to remind you of two or three important points. Look, OA is the most common joint disease that affects human beings, and it's a major cause of disability, which is why we have to know the diagnosis and management of this disease. I think we should really consider ruling out OA in every older adult who comes to our office. We often give importance to the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, but the musculoskeletal system is important too. OA patients suffer pain and disability. The earlier we intervene, the better the prognosis. I encourage you to look for this disease in older adults, identify it and treat it appropriately. Thank you for your time. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Vidal, for sharing your time with us and for all of these insights on uh, Let's Talk OA. Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk OA, a podcast series brought to you by Laboratories Expand Science. We'll see you next time as we continue to learn more about osteoarthritis.